At the moment, everything's a big change for us. There's lots of changes going on around us. And, you know, we, I think like, like you as a church, we're rolling with the punches, so to speak. And this, this week's been a, a week of, of rolling with the punches uh, because of the, the change in terms of the dynamics of what the government's announced. And so I'll, I'll, I'll level with you. Uh, last Sunday, we were aiming to uh, hopefully put out a, an, an invite to a picnic. We were going to get the church together at the riverside. We had spoken to the council and the police about, let's try and gather together as a church and have a picnic together uh, outside, socially distanced picnic. But then Boris Johnson announced that actually we can only meet in groups of six. And so we've had to change our plans. So change is happening all the time. And actually, when you look back over the last six months, what you find is there's been loads of changes. I was reflecting on this sort of the other day, and I was thinking about going shopping. You know, at the end of last year, if you'd seen somebody wear a face mask in a shop, you'd have, think, you'd have thought they were a weirdo. Um, you'd have thought, well, what on earth are they wearing a face mask for? They must be worried about catching the flu or something. You wouldn't even think that it was a normal thing to do. And now you go into a shop, and if people aren't wearing a face mask, you're disgusted at them. I can't believe they wouldn't wear a face mask. This is outrageous law-breaking. You know, lots can change in six months, and, uh, and we're all changing too. And you might not realise it, but you are changing. Every day we live, we change. Things change in our lives. And, uh, and actually, I, we, I noticed this just yesterday again. So we saw uh, Andy and Ash Hughes yesterday and, and Kate and Craig Norman in the morning. And we saw, uh, so uh, Hallie, who was really, really small when I saw her last, is now a lot bigger. And, and baby Imogen is now a lot bigger than she was. We all change and we grow. And it's going to be so exciting when we gather together again that we're all going to have changed and have grown and changed as individuals. And actually, God is doing changes in our lives. And so some of us are going to change externally because we've grown up a little bit, and others of us are going to change because God's been changing us internally. And as we walk through life, actually, we can change for the good or for the bad. And I've noticed, actually, in my own life, as I've started to self-reflect on this whole idea of change, that I've started to prioritise different things than I was before this all started. So of course, I was prioritising my relationship with Jesus before, but I really am prioritising my relationship with Jesus more than I ever have done before. In ways, for example, like I'm being obedient to his voice more than I have before. So when I feel God calling, telling me to phone somebody up and see how they're doing, I just now do it automatically because I know that every time I do that, I feel like I'm having a really meaningful conversation with somebody. It's like God is directing me towards certain people. I've also, also realised that actually my priorities have shifted towards my family as well. I'm going I'm to level with you on this one. Um, before lockdown, actually it was quite easy if you've got children like I have, you'd bring them to church on Sunday and you'd hope that, or know that and trust that because we've got a great children's work, that as they turn up to children's work, they're learning about the Bible. But actually I've realised that my priorities need to change quite a lot and I need to be the one, and, and Claire and I need to be the ones who are actually teaching them and instructing them in the Lord's. Actually, there's been an emphasis change in my life as a result of lockdown, realising that I need to train my children in the ways of God. It's important that they learn the Bible. It's important that they learn about Jesus. And that has to come out at home. And so that's been a change for me as well. So here's some questions for you. What have, what's, what's been changing in your life? What are the priorities that maybe have shifted in you? What, what, what maybe values have changed in you? Have you had any values that have changed as a course of lockdown? What lessons are you learning? These are important questions that we should be thinking about. So as we think about those questions, let's read Mark chapter 14 together, verses 1 to 11. So here we are. It was now two days before Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So I mean, this is a scene-setting moment here. And what's going on here is we've got Passover happening in Jerusalem. So the population of Jerusalem at the time was smaller than the population of Ashford now. That had been what, between 70,000 and 120,000, if you look at different estimates on the amount of people who lived in Jerusalem. But during Passover, the, the population of, of Jerusalem would swell, some say, almost by 300,000 extra people. So this town, this city that was normally accommodating just around 100,000 people, all of a sudden kind of quadrupled in size. It had four or 500,000 people there. And at the time, the priests, the, the high priests and the, um, the, the scribes were seeking a way to do something about this Jesus. Jesus who had been teaching this divisive gospel. Jesus who had been teaching this message that actually put their, their message under threat. Jesus had been healing the sick and changing people's lives and was a threat to their way of life. And they realised they needed to do something about him. They couldn't just leave it alone. But they knew that if they did it in Passover, they would turn him, they would turn him into a martyr. And it's interesting, actually, they try and not do something, but it ends up happening anyway, as you read through the story. But here's the scene setting. You've got these chief priests thinking about a way to get, away, get, get rid of Jesus. And then we get to verse 3. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it on his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard of it, they were glad and they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. So here we have our story, our reading for today. And what we have is we have a, a sandwich story. It's called an intercalation. We see this, Mark uses this a lot. We've seen it elsewhere already. And this is where you get two different narratives, one that sandwiches the other like, two, like, like a sandwich, two slices of bread with a filling in between. And our filling is the main part of the story, this woman pouring out this ointment onto Jesus. But actually, we shouldn't ignore the other two parts of this story either. The, the plot to betray Jesus. And actually what we find is Judas's actions in part are due to what he sees happen with the woman anointing Jesus with oil. These are important aspects of this story. So there's two characters I want to focus on in this story. We've got Judas on one hand, and then we've got this anonymous woman. And the anonymous woman, if you read John, is more likely to be Mary, but Mark keeps her anonymous, and I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. And their reactions... That the, the woman's reactions and, and Judas's reactions to Jesus are the key elements of this story for each of us. So first of all, let's just focus on the woman for a few minutes. So what does she do with Jesus? Well, she, she does this incredible thing. And, it, and it's so other to us. We can't even really comprehend it. Because I don't know anybody who's got something in their house that is worth a year's wages, like this woman has. What she does is it's just ridiculous. 
She takes this ointment, this nard, this, this perfume that's it's actually made out in, uh, they, they, they made it in Corinth, they grew, they grew the flowers in Corinth, but they also grew them out in India, and it was across the Roman Empire, nard was a, an expensive perfume. And the amount that she's got is just ridiculous. She's got 300 denarii worth of this pure nard. One denarii was a day's pay. She's got almost, if you look elsewhere, this is amount, amounts to about 50 weeks worth of work. That's how much it would cost to own this amount of perfume. I mean, I don't know anybody who just has an item lying around their house that is worth a year's worth of wages. It's an exorbitant amount of oil. Her actions are a result of something. She understands something. She sees something. What she realizes is that actually she knows who Jesus is. She knows who he is. And her actions and her response to Jesus are just an act of pure, spontaneous worship before him. I'm going to give Jesus everything. She knows who Jesus is. She's become convinced of who Jesus is. And she knows something about his messianic mission. You see, Jesus, after this happened, says, she was preparing my body for burial. She can see something of what is happening in Christ. She knows who she is, and she knows he is who she values most. Jesus is what she values above all else. And so she's prepared to take this item, this ridiculously expensive item, and she's prepared to just waste it all on Jesus. She throws it all over him. The cost of the oil then becomes irrelevant. It's not about how much it costs. It's about Jesus. He's all she sees at that moment, and she just pours her worship onto him. She's completely blinkered to everything else around her as she smashes the bottle open and she pours the oil onto Jesus. And what's the response of everybody else? As as often we see in the Gospels, actually, the the disciples respond in a way that you don't always think that they're going to respond in. You know, like when they're in the boat with Jesus, I've preached on before, and, and they're scared, for example, when Jesus does the miracle. They don't respond with joy, they respond with fear. Here, they don't respond with, wow, that's an amazing thing you've just done. They're, they're incensed by it. They, they, they're judgmental about it. How dare she? How dare she do that? This, this perfume is worth a year's worth of wages, and you've wasted in it a minute on Jesus. You could have given this money to the poor, but you've gone and poured it all out over Jesus. What a waste, they say. Her, her actions are quite similar to uh, the, the, the woman in Mark 12 who takes the little that she has. She gives the two coins into the offering. And so just like the woman who gives everything that she has into the offering, this woman here gives everything that she has. One is giving out of the, 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 the exorbitancy of what she owns. The other is giving out of the little that she owns, but both are giving all to Jesus. But both actually kind of experience judgmental attitudes from the disciples. Jesus is taking the highest priority in this woman's mental framework. He can have it all, according to her. He can have it all. Um, And the disciples are missing the point here. You see, they think it's, you know, actually everything should be about the poor all the time. We need to be caring for other people. And that is true. Jesus doesn't actually discount that. What he says is you will not, you will always have the poor among you. He quotes from Deuteronomy 15. You'll always have the poor. Why are we we always going to have the poor among us? Because actually there are people who extort other people. There are people who lord it over others. We we live in sin. We live in a sinful world. We always have the poor because there are always people willing to get something over on somebody else. You're always going to have the poor, Jesus says, but you won't always have me. He says, look, at this moment, it is not about the poor. At this moment, it is about me. You're missing the point of what's going on. You see, 
The woman's attitudes and actions are not selfish. They're an act of pure worship and devotion to Jesus. This is an aside, and actually it's funny because it fits in with what Sam said earlier on when he said he had a word for somebody called Rachel. That The woman in this story remains anonymous, yet her actions are praised by Jesus and, his promise, and he promises that her story is always going to be told. So Mark purposefully keeps this woman anonymous. He could have named her. John does. But he keeps her anonymous. Why? Well, look, God doesn't celebrate celebrity. Doesn't celebrate celebrity. You might feel insignificant or small or even irrelevant. Yet if you live for Jesus, if you're living a life for Jesus, following him even when it's costly to you, to God that's more precious than any celebrity action you might see on Instagram, any story, anything you might see on the, on the news or on Facebook. Actually, if you follow Jesus, even when it's costly to you, that is more precious in the eyes of God than a lot of what our culture values. You might feel insignificant or small, but actually God sees your worship. So you've got this woman, she's given everything she can to Jesus. She's just poured out her love upon him as a spontaneous act of worship. She just wants to just give him everything she has. She holds nothing back from him. She says, no, I'm not going to hold anything back from this guy. I'm going to give him everything I am. And then you've got Judas. Judas had followed Jesus day in, day out. He'd wandered around with him. He'd watched Jesus. He'd listened to Jesus' teaching. He'd seen the miracles that Jesus had performed. But Jesus isn't who Judas wants Jesus to be. He's not. Some say, some scholars will argue that Judas was a zealot, that what he was waiting for was Jesus to take the throne in Jerusalem. And when he sees that that's not going to happen, actually Judas starts to betray Jesus. But Mark doesn't give that as a reason here. What he actually gives as a reason is that, that Judas is greedy. He's driven by self. He's driven by self. We see this in, in the, the kind of the comments from the chief priest that they promised to give him a sum of money. I think if you read into that, he's asked for a sum of money. They've promised to give him something that he's asked for. If, if I deliver Jesus to you, give me some money. And you see that later on in the accounts of what happens to him. Judas is being driven by a self-attitude. And he's being driven by wanting Jesus to be who he wants Jesus to be, rather than allowing Jesus to be who Jesus is and accepting Jesus for who he is. He has a, a callous action towards Jesus. He's willing to betray him. And he's just fueled by selfish gain and opinion of, of who he is. He thinks he's better. He, he thinks he knows better. What we see here then is a contrast between Judas and the woman. We see Judas, this, this callous-hearted person, this selfish person, just wanting to get what they can get out of life, willing to betray Jesus for it. And we see the woman willing to give everything she can to him, willing just to pour her heart and her life out upon him. So then there's a question for each of us. What's your reaction to Jesus going to be? And this, you might not be a Christian, and you might think, wow, who would waste a year's wages on somebody? When you meet Jesus, he's worth that. What's your reaction to Jesus going to be? Maybe you've been a Christian years and years, but actually your life resembles more like Judas's life than it does the woman's life. You're selfish. You're not prepared to give Jesus everything in your life. You hold back things from him. You're secretive about what you'll share with him or not share with him. What do you value most? Paul writes to the Philippians, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ. He counts everything as rubbish that he might gain Christ. Everything, everything in my life, all of the things that, that I've earned or accomplished. He talk, Paul talks about being a Jew among Jews, somebody who had everything to, 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 to lose effectively in life. He counts it all as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Just like the woman in our story, the woman holds nothing back from Jesus. Nothing back. God, you can have it all. Jesus, you can have it all. Are you holding anything back from Jesus? Are you holding anything back from him? Are there areas of your life where you're not prepared to let Jesus in? Maybe they're habits or behaviours that you'd rather keep to yourself. Or are you giving him everything? And, and, and sometimes that, that, that can be out of selfish motivation, but other times there's another reason for it as well. Sometimes we're scared of what God might do in us if we actually give it to him. Sometimes actually we, we're frightened to come to God with our hurt or our pain or our disappointment because... Actually, we're worried about what he will say to us. But actually, God invites us, no matter how we are, no matter how we feel, he invites us to come and give him everything. Jesus says, cast all your anxieties onto me. We're called to come and actually give him everything. Whether it's good or bad or in the middle, actually, God calls us to hold nothing back from him and just give, us, give him everything of us. This is challenging. Do you, do you count everything else in your life as rubbish except Jesus? As we place Jesus as our highest priority and we give him the highest value in our lives, what we find is actually something happens. He reorientates our value system to his own. The, the, the way that our, our minds work and the way that the world looks in our eyes changes and we start to see the world from heaven's perspective, from his perspective. You see, as we make Jesus our priority, actually we develop the right attitude of a heart for the poor, a right attitude for the heart for the lost, the broken, the needy. Actually, it starts with worship. It starts with knowing him and giving him everything. My encouragement to you today, and look, I know I've said stuff like this before, but actually I, I feel like this, I, I, need to, I really felt God telling me that I needed just to bring this exhortation to you today. Don't give up on keeping Jesus the main thing in your life. Make him the highest placed thing in your life. As we walk through this season of COVID and we're walking through it and there's change happening all around us, keep Jesus front and centre in your life. Don't, don't be put off or distracted by other things. Don't get distracted by Netflix. Don't get distracted by other things. Keep Jesus as the focus of your life. Make him your highest priority. This is not just a plea to us as individuals. This is a plea to us as a church. Let's make Jesus our highest priority. I'm convinced that if we make glorifying and worshipping Jesus... Just Jesus, our highest priority as a church family, we're never going to go far wrong. We won't. And when we come back together, because we're going to come back together, maybe there are some of you kind of questioning that. Maybe you've gone to the point in your life at the moment, you're thinking, are we ever going to come back together as a church? We will come back together. It will happen at some point. And when we do, what a celebration it will be. What a celebration of family and community. But wouldn't it be great if that celebration of family and community is just centred on the fact that it is all about Jesus Yes, we come together because of what Jesus has done. We want to make him the central thing of all that we do. Sometimes our worship of devotion of Jesus is spontaneous. Sometimes it's an overflow of our hearts. I just need to worship Jesus. I need to pour out everything I am to him. But actually, most of the time, actually our devotion to Jesus is something conscious that we need to actually engage in. So how do you go about actually reorientating your life and your value system and making Jesus the ultimate thing you value 
Well, my encouragement to you is to do what the early disciples did in Acts. In Acts 2, 42 to 46, we read about what these early disciples, these early Christians did, and they devoted themselves. And devoting yourself is important. It's actually a choice, an action. If Jesus is your highest priority, yes, it looks like these spontaneous acts of worship, but actually it also looks like the day-to-day grind when you say, no, I'm going to devote myself. I'm going to devote myself daily to God's ways. So the, the disciples in Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to these things. They made these things the most important things in their lives. And my encouragement to you as a member of Gateway Church is that what you do is you devote yourself to Jesus. You devote yourself to worshipping him. You devote yourself to the word. Devote yourself to God's words. Just as these disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, make the Bible important in your life. And lastly, devote yourselves to the people of God, to the church family. Make the church family important in your life. So, look, we could walk through this season and become more and more individual, or we could walk through this season and become closer together as a family as we just make one another our priority and our focus. You see, as we do that, we're prioritising Jesus because we are Christ's body. As we come together and we call one another and we speak to one another, what we're doing is we're making Jesus the highest valued thing in our lives. So I'm going to close in a second because uh, it's now 11.02, but I just want to just encourage you with those things this morning. Just please, this is my, my plea to you this week, put Jesus at the centre of your life. Make him central to, to, to your life. Hear me, hear what I'm saying. It's almost like a desperate plea from my heart. Put him central to everything that you do. Don't, don't leave him to the side. Don't leave him to the last thing you do in the day. But make him the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning. Go to work later if you have to in order to make Jesus the most important thing you do. Make him the most important thing in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this woman's actions. She just pours out her heart and her soul to you in worship. She just gives you everything. And Lord, I'm aware that as a church body... Over the course of COVID, Lord, we could, we could be prone to wander like sheep. Or, Lord, we could just come to you and keep following you closely. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask you that you would help us to follow you closely this week. Lord Jesus, I pray that the fragrance of our worship this week would be a blessing to your heart. Lord Jesus, I pray that the fragrance of our worship this week would be a blessing to your soul. Lord Jesus, that you would just, um, uh, just know our, our, our worship and obedience this week. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that we're your body. And Lord Jesus, that this week as we kind of walk through the week, Lord, and we devote ourselves to you, that we remember that we're devoting ourselves as well to the family. And so, Lord, we pray this week, Lord Jesus, for each one of us, that you would just uh, just move us closer to you, closer to one another. Lord, that your kingdom would come through us and the lives of those around us. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. And we're going to, I think there's about 15 minutes, and then we've got tea and coffee on Zoom. So, If you want to join us for tea and coffee and just say hello to somebody, that's a really good thing to do. And you can do that at 20 past 11 and just say hi to a few people. If not, why not call somebody up today and just say hello to them? My encouragement to you this week is just to make some effort in in following Jesus every day in your life, but also make some effort with other people in the church. Let's get alongside one another, encouraging one another in the Lord. Well, that's it for today. Look forward to seeing you again soon and we'll see you next week.